right, good morning. Come on, who's excited to be in the house? The Lord Day makes some noise, excited to be here. It's so good to be working with our church family every week. We miss you guys and so glad we get to hang out with you. I wanna welcome everybody to our Ashland campus as well and everybody watching online. Thank you guys for being part of this series we're going through called Seven. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, go with me to Revelations chapter two. We're really excited about what God's doing in our church right now, especially like on a Wednesday night. Uh, we've been going through the book of Revelation, uh, some of the, about the end time stuff. And this past Wednesday night with youth, and children and adult, we had like 420 people here this past Wednesday night. That's amazing, man. Like, that's packing the house out. Uh, speaking of that, there'll be no family night. There'll be no adult Bible study. This Wednesday night, we won't be talking through Revelation because we have a big student event taking place and a college event as well. And uh, I've been talking to Pastor Brandon about some things. And, and it's like, man, what can we do to really know, you know, invite students out and stuff? And so we came with this idea that um, if they hit their numbers... If they hit their numbers next Sunday, this is what I'm gonna look like next Sunday. Just wanna let y'all know that. So uh, y'all need to be praying for me. Uh, yeah, that's right. I said, I'll shave your head. I said, sure, man, shave man. What's the big deal? No, bald. Oh, okay, all right, I gotta talk to my wife about that. So, uh, so if you do not want to see me like that, do everything you can not to bring middle school and high school students out this Wednesday. But if he's like, nah, take one for the team, bro. You need to invite as many middle school and high school students you can out this Wednesday night. And if they hit their numbers right here on stage Wednesday night, I'm gonna let uh, Pastor Brennan shave my head forever. So uh, pray for my wife. Uh, she's already been having this discussion with me. But anyway, it'll grow back out. Hopefully somebody says it probably won't grow back out, but you know, we'll work through that if it, if it doesn't. I'm sure they got some hair stuff I can put on. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. Seven, this series has been really good going through the seven churches in the first two uh, chapter, chapter two and three of the book of Revelation. We know this, that Jesus is the author of the book. The whole book should be in red letter. Uh, Jesus let the apostle John know uh, what's to come. Uh, what is, chapters one, two, and three, what's actual little taking place, and then what is to come. And on Wednesday nights through Revelation chapter four on, that's what we've been talking about, the things to come in time, what's going on with the world, with Israel's things that happen right now. If that intrigues you, and you have some family member that might intrigue you, please invite them to come, and let's have some fun again on, uh, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday night when we meet back up. Now, the seven letters, uh, we have a map here if you wanna see this map. Remember, we walked through it. We started last week with Ephesus, and the map shows that it starts with Ephesus, and then goes to Smyrna, and then it goes to Pergamos, then Thyatira, then Sardis, and then Philadelphia, then Laodicea. Now, these are the seven churches in modern-day Turkey. This is modern-day Turkey. The seven churches we're going through that Jesus wrote this letter to, and the reason why it's this order is because it's the mail route. It's the way the postal route ran. So when you mailed something, it started right here in Ephesus, and it would make like a horseshoe circle all the way back around, and then pick back up the mail. So it took a real long time, right, if you mail a letter to get a mail. And so now we have the Apostle John, who can't, I mean, sorry, Apostle John, yeah, who cannot die, basically. They, they put him on this island, Patamos, and he begins to write what Jesus shows him. And so he writes a letter, and we have it, it's called the book of Revelation. So the whole entire letter he would send to the seven churches. After he wrote the letter, he copied it seven times, and he mailed it to every single city that we have here, the seven churches. So the whole book of Revelation was written to these seven real churches with real people having real problems in this situation. And so here we go, and let's jump down to Revelation 2, verse 8. If you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. To the angel of the church in Smyrna. So let's stop there. To the angel. What do you mean angel? Somebody's got a halo. What do you mean when you say angel there? Angel literally means messenger. And depending on the context of the passage when you interpret it in your Bible, you have to see what's taking place 
for the messenger or the angel. Now, in the context here, we clearly see the messenger is the pastor. So to the angel he calls, the translation says angel, the word literally means messenger, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, Ephesus, Thyatira, Laodicea. They're gonna write a letter to the pastor. Now, who is pastoring this church that we know of at this time in history? Well, history tells us a guy named Polycarp was the pastor. That's not a fish when I say Polycarp. It's actually somebody's name for you fishermen out there. Like, Polycarp was this guy's name. He's in his mid-20s, somewhere in his 20s, and he receives a letter from King Jesus. Remember we talked about this little blues clues? We just got a letter. Come on now, come on, I'm sorry. You gotta, have, you gotta wake up with me, right? You get an extra hour of sleep coming up in a couple weeks when the time changes. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that later. So you imagine your 20s, some year old pastor, you're pastoring a very poor, persecuted church in a great grand city, and you get a knock on the door, and we got a letter to deliver to you. Like, oh, who's the letter from? Oh, Jesus. Jesus sends you a letter, and now you're really excited, right? You're the pastor of the church. We'll talk more about Polycarp here towards the end, but he gets this letter, and it says here in verse eight, it's to the angel of the church and to Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was this unbelievable, it still is today, beautiful city. If you go to the, the city of Ephesus, it's ruins. There's columns and stuff, but Smyrna still exists. In fact, historian says it's the most exquisite city in all of Greek. It had an amphitheater that seated 20,000 people. Could you imagine everybody, if we're here in our campus at Moorhead, our Round County, everyone in Round County in one location in one theater outdoor. No microphones. I want you to picture that. Like our entire county in one location. It's a massive, massive theater. It was known for their science, for the medicine. It was self-governing. It was a free city. It was the birthplace of Homer, not Homer Simpson, Homer the poet that you know you read in school, right? Homer the poet. And so they were like, this is the city. It was the first place to have an emperor, uh, 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 like temple that worshiped the emperor. And so this place was unbelievable. You can actually go to this city today. In fact, you could go to Turkey today and go to this city and it's Izmir. In fact, you should Google it. It's beautiful. It's an unbelievable, beautiful city right on the sea there. It was so, so pretty. In fact, because it was on the sea, when the sun hit, it gave a halo effect, and it was known as the crown of Asia. So the word of the day was Smyrna is the crown, that's very important, we'll get to that in a moment, the crown of Asia. Smyrna was also known for a real big commodity there called myrrh. Now, we, you've heard of myrrh probably when Jesus died. Remember, they wrapped his body in myrrh. We also know that the wise men, we're gonna talk about this at our Christmas series, right? They brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh, probably from Smyrna. Really, we can see where it gets its, its word from. But myrrh was very important because myrrh for the living was used as perfume. For the dead, it was used to embalm people. And so this is a very commodity, so very hot commodity. People would wear it for perfume or they would wear it when someone passed away, they would embalm or they would put the spices on top of the body. So this was a hot commodity. I mean, people were buying this stuff over and over. So this city was booming, it was beautiful, it was the crown of Asia. I mean, this was the place to be at this time when you're living in this modern day Turkey. But there's something that took place, in fact, 1,000 B.C. is when the Greeks built this, history tells us. At 600 B.C., it was completely destroyed. The city laid there in ruins until Alexander the Great in 290 B.C. decided that he wanted to build a great city here. 
because the sea was beautiful, it was a great place. And so Alexander the Great comes back into the city of Smyrna, rebuilds the city, and it becomes the crown of Asia. Beautiful. I mean, just it trades and everything was taking place all over the place. And, and it had a motto. You know how cities have motto, like when you think of Chicago, you think of the windy city, they'll say things like that, or, or Philadelphia, they'll say brotherly love. Like, like, like the city has like its own motto. But this city had a motto. And the motto is that was hung up or when you come into the city or you've heard about the city, it was this. We were once dead, but now we're alive. We were once destroyed. The city was once destroyed, but Alexander the Great built it back up. So think about this. You were known all over Southeast Asia here as the city that was once dead, but now alive. The crown of Asia, and it's with that lens, it's with that context, when you begin to read what Jesus writes to them, it's, it's really, really fascinating. Look what happens here in verse eight. It says, the first and the last, who was dead but now is alive. Do you see that, how Jesus appeals to this city? The who was once dead but now has come to life says this. This was so fascinating because the first and the last, if you, for you Bible students out there, if you study your Bible, it is the exclusive title for God given to Israel. God wanted Israel to know, hey, I'm the first and I'm the last. I want you to know that. In fact, the prophet Isaiah tells us this, Isaiah 44, 6. This is what the Lord says. He who is the king of Israel and his redeemer, the Lord of, of armies, I am the first and I am the last and there is no God besides me. Now I want you to think about this. You've heard about this. You've heard about the prophet Isaiah writing these things. Your pastor Polycarp would have taught you this stuff because that's all they had. They didn't have everything that we have today, the whole canon complete of the Bible to preach from. And now you get a letter from Jesus who has the title the first and the last, who claims to be God. People say Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh yes he did. He claimed to be God. So could you imagine, you're getting a letter from God. The first and the last. It goes on, it says, the Alpha and Omega, as we see this in Revelations 1.8. Look what it says in 1.8. We begin the book of Revelation. It says, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is that? That's the Greek alphabet. That's the big first letter, the last letter. That today would be, I'm A to Z, and I'm all in between. I'm the first, I'm the last, I'm A to Z. And then at the end of the book of Revelation, all at the end when we're about to close it all up, listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 22. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the first, I am the last, I'm the beginning, and I am the end. And so that should just encourage us to know that Jesus knows all things, he sees all things, he understands all things, he was, he is, and he is to come. That shouting noise, somebody should say amen right there. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like that shouting noise for us. He, and he is coming back. And so you could be sitting here saying, how can someone come back to life? Now we can see a city, right? A city destroyed. Alexander the Great, go do your history and research, builds it back up. But how can a human, how can a person come back to life? First Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all time. The just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, his body died, but watch this, but been made alive in his spirit. The spirit of God come and breathe life back into Jesus' body. And so 
the pastor wants the congregation to know, I got a letter from that guy, from that guy, the first, the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who was dead but now lives. We think that's our church's motto, he lives it. So it's with that mindset when you unpack the, the letter here to this church, if you know that culture and context, and I know I'm spending time on it, so that when you read it, you now see what Jesus is trying to communicate to this small, broken, persecuted church. Now I want you to imagine this with me. It's really early on the Lord's day. You're gathering real early in the morning a handful of us to celebrate Jesus. You're actually walking quietly through the streets, you're sneaking into a house or building a location. You come into a room that's way smaller than this. A candle's lit, it's really dim. And you do all this secretly to avoid persecution, being arrested, being exiled, or being burned at the stake, or thrown into the Olympic Games for pleasure to watch your life be destroyed. In this city, there was massive persecution to Christians. You got up today, you got ready, no problem, walked in here, no problem, nobody's out here guarding, no problem, taking care, you come in freely, go free, not Christians in Smyrna. And there's Christians all over the world who still live like this in Smyrna. We'll get to that just in a moment. You sit down and your pastor who's in his 20s lighted the candle, got there in a room, whispers so nobody can hear where you're at and what you're talking about, afraid for your life, says, guys, I got a letter from Jesus. See, when you read your Bible, you, have, you cannot miss the context. Reread read it through the lens of an American life. We, we, we read it through the lens of freedom and I'm so thankful we live in the greatest country in the world. But when you read your Bible and you go, you have to look through their lens and their context. And now this 20-year-old pastor stamps up and says, I got a letter from Jesus, and, and today we're gonna be reading his letter to the congregation, to the ecclesia, the called out ones who've gathered in this dark room to sing a song, to say a prayer, and read the Holy Scriptures together. I wonder if that persecution came upon us, would we be willing to do that? Or we would say, no, nah, we just catch it later. No, nah, it's no big, give us the recording. Hey, can you broadcast it out so we could just see it? So it's with that context you were sitting there and then all of a sudden your young pastor opens up the letter. He reads about Revelations chapter one, about what's to come and what, who wrote it in the seven churches and then you read what's going on in Ephesus because every church got the exact same letter of the book of Revelation. So every church read what was going on in each church. And so now you read what happened in, in Ephesus. Man, Jesus condemned them. We talked about that last week. Right belief, right behavior, wrong basis. Your love is off. I wonder what he's gonna say to us. And then you get to your church, your congregation, and he gets to verse nine and he says this. I know your tribulations. I know your poverty, but you're rich. The slander by those who say they are Jews, but they are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So now you're sitting here together and going, man, he gets me. Jesus knows what's going on in our city. 
It says here, I know the pressure, the tribulation. Your translation may say affliction. One way that they would torture people to get things out of them or, or get them to denounce Jesus is they would lay them down on the ground and they would take a heavy stone and they would take a stone and they would put the stone over top of them on their chest so it would begin to crush their sternum. Renounce Jesus or die. They won't renounce Jesus. So they grab another stone and they would stack the stone. That's the picture of the word tribulation. It means to be pressed. It means to be crushed. It means to be afflicted. And so the church there, he says, I know you're being crushed. See, it crushes us when somebody don't like our post on Facebook. It crushes us when everybody else got invited to the party, but you didn't. It crushes us when somebody, you see what I'm saying? Like, we say we suffer for what? Jesus says, I know the persecution. I know you're being crushed. I know you're being stressed. I know the pressure. I see it. But then he says, also notice your poverty. Now, there's two Greek words he could have used for poverty. The one that he uses means to beg, means you're a beggar. Here's what he's saying. I know you can't get jobs because of me. I know people have outcasted you because of me. I know you literally sit on the side of the road, and watch this, the word poverty means a beggar. You are literally begging people for food, for survival. Now listen, there's some of us in here, you've experienced radical poverty in your life, no doubt. Some of you, you may be there and you're trying to work your way through that. But I, I would go to say, I doubt any of us experienced the poverty that they're experiencing in this room. Jesus says, I see that you're being pressured and you're being crushed, a tribulation, affliction. I see that you're in poverty, but watch this. He used a parenthetical statement, though that you're rich. Now, that should make you scratch your head. I see your poverty, but you're rich. What is he saying? See, we think of being rich as the physical stuff. It's the, it's the accolades. It's the resources that we have. You can have all the greatest resources in the world and still be spiritually bankrupt. He says, you find your riches in your stuff, but your riches, in, it's in your heart. You may be poor, but boy, you are rich. So Jesus throws this bouquet and said, listen, I see your party, but hang tight, you are rich. You're richer than those who have stuff. I see your persecution, I see your poverty. And watch this, and I see the persecution that's happened to you because you're being slandered. Now who's he being slandered by? Look what he says in the text. It says you're being slandered by those who say they're Jews, but they are not. They're actually from the synagogue of Satan. Man, that's harsh. I mean, that's harsh. I mean, think about it. People who are sl tell lies that slander you, that slanders the church, whoever you are. Watch this. The, who's behind all the slander? Satan. So when people make up stuff about you, lie about you, lie about the big C church, lie about the local churches, whatever, whoever is doing that, I want you to hear that Jesus says it's because they're being motivated by Satan. That's, 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 that should wake you up. That's harsh. So when you hear that, you should know that's Satan who is motivating that. And these Jews, you see, Judaism got a bypass. They didn't have to bow and worship Caesar. They worked some things out, but Christians were not, weren't included in that. This is like a new religion on the street, but this is the newest thing out. Now, this is the, wait, wait, we, we can't let this God in here amongst the many gods. They don't believe that Caesar's Lord. So the Jews begin to slander the Christians. And you know what they would say? It's recorded. 
they begin to call the Christians and tell everybody to stay away from them because they're cannibals. Do you know why they call them cannibals? It's because they would take the Lord's Supper and they would say, this is my body, eat it. This is my blood, drink it. And they would tell people in the city, stay away from the cannibals because of the sacrament that they take because they didn't understand it. So you can imagine, you had these God-fearing people in your community, this, these Jews, and you're in this great grand city, and these, all these gods are all over the place, and their group is saying, stay away from them, they're cannibals. They also had these things they called love fest, where they would have agape fellowship. Agape is unconditional love. They have an agape festival together where they would get with each other, and they would eat in house to house. They would meet with each other. And when they call them love fest, the Jews would say they're having orgies. Stay away from these immoral, sexual immoral people. And they were being slandered. They were saying stay away from them because they're known to divide your family. Because if you come to follow Jesus, your family would kick you out because you follow Jesus. And it would split families up. And they're saying they're destroying the family, so stay away from the Christians. They would even call them atheists, and they would say they're atheists. And why they would call them atheists? Because they have no shrine, no picture, no object of worship. See, we can go to our temple and worship our God. We can go to this tree, we can go to this stone, we can go to this accolade, whatever it would be. This is our God. Who is your God, Christians? Well, he's invisible. Atheist. And they would say, this is the one that worships the invisible God, that they said they can't even show us who he is. And then when the biggest one is they say, politically, they disagree with the city of Smyrna because they will not bow down to Caesar. And that was one of the biggest reasons they were being persecuted. It's because they only saw one God, one Lord, one King, and it wasn't Caesar. Because the Greeks believed that Caesar was a deity, that he was embodied. This is like demigod, he became that. So there's only one God, one King, one Lord, Caesar bow, and these Christians would not do it. And so what happened is they begin to go around and say, these Christians teach about the end times. And this is what's so fascinating about it. They would say the world is gonna end in flames. And there was a slander in them saying, stay away from them because they could like combust, they could catch on fire at any moment and you don't wanna be burned because they went around teaching that the end of the world will end in flames. And you know what's even fascinating? They don't even got the book of Revelation yet. We see that. They didn't even have this book yet where Jesus says what's gonna happen. So that tells you that the, Jesus had been talking about this. He's been talking about this. So they said, stay away from them. And folks, listen, persecution not only happened then, and I know we turn a blind eye to it or we're just not irrelevant or we're just in our own life, but this is happening right now all over the world. There's a group called opendoors.org and they track the persecuted church. If you can go there and check them out, opendoors.org. Here is a map of the most persecuted areas in the world for Christians. Do you see there's one right south of us, like number 38? Make sure you plan your vacation wisely. This is, this is right now where Christians are being persecuted the most all over the world. They track these things. How many Christians are being killed? How many churches are being burned? How many houses are being destroyed? Here's the list of the top 10. And guess who's at the top 10 every single year? The number one every year is North Korea. I don't, even know, I don't know the last time North Korea was not the number one. 
that persecute more Christians than any other country on the planet. Folks, listen, this is happening all over us. There are people right now in underground churches today begging just for a piece of the Bible just to have a paper tore out of Petra so they can read it underground in secret and worship God. And we have seven sitting on our bookshelves collecting dust. Like, don't, don't, when you read Smyrna, it's like, okay, that was then. That is now. That is happening right now. And I'm telling you, there will come a day if things keep going the way it's going, that persecution's coming to us. I mean, we can already see the anti-Israel, the anti-Semitic movement. And listen, anti-Semitism is a Satanism. Satan's behind it because Satan wants to annihilate and wipe Israel off the face of the planet. So when you see people rise up against, against Israel, listen to me, Satan is behind it. Because if he can wipe Israel off the planet, Jesus cannot return to restore his people back to himself. And it's a way to try to keep Jesus from coming back. Man, it's right in front of us. And we see these movements everywhere that's anti-Israel and anti-Jewish and all this stuff. Listen, that is why Satan is behind it. Persecution is happening and persecution is coming. And listen, and it's gonna come to the greatest country on the planet someday. Someday. So we better wake up to these things. This is a real church with real problems 2,000 years ago, and it's still relevant today. Paul told Timothy this, indeed, all who desires to live a godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You will be persecuted for your faith. You start standing up. Listen, right now you can stand up for God, and nobody really says anything. Because what God are you talking about? You start standing up for a specific Jesus, Folks, you're gonna get canceled. Because he is God and he is the way, the truth, and the life. So imagine you're sitting there and you go, okay, your pastor gets the letter out, right? He opens the letter from Smyrna and he gets the letter and he goes, I know your pain, I know your problems, I know your poverty, I know your pressure, I know your persecution. Okay, Jesus gets it. Hopefully he's gonna tell me it's gonna get better. Look at verse 10. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. <laughs> really? Like that was probably not a good time to come to church. You know, that's not a good, honey, why do we come to church today? Like he's talking about suffering. Like really, like do not fear what you're about to suffer. Like can it get any worse? What do you mean what I'm about to suffer? Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Out of any day to miss church, this is the day, right? Out of any sermon that you don't wanna hear is about suffering. And I'm here to tell you, until you suffer for Christ, you probably won't be used greatly for him. Because it's in the suffering that you come to know him. Paul says, I want to know him and fellowship in his sufferings. I have a hard time with that verse. Just being real, vulnerable to you. How many of us get up every morning and pray, God, I just wanna be afflicted in suffering so I can know you more? And you're here today going, hey, um, what about this better life stuff? You know, what's, I want the better life. Like, I want the blessed life. What's that life, right? What's, what do you mean, suffering life? Like, let's name the church suffering life. Like, who wants, to, who wants to be part of that? But it's only through great suffering to really, really, really get to know the scriptures and what Jesus says. Look what he says. You're gonna have opposition. You're gonna suffer. The devil is behind it. Don't miss it. 
The devil is behind it. You're gonna be arrested and you're gonna be in prison for, or jail for 10 days. Come on, if you've been around Bear Life Church, you know this. The number 10 stands for what? Come on. Testing. Why 10? Why 10 days? Why did Jesus say? Because 10 means testing. Remember the 10 plagues? Test Pharaoh. Test Egypt. When we talk about tithing, we, people get all arms about, well, why did God say tithing? Why is it 10%? 10 means testing, which means this. Every time you get paid, you take a test. Am I gonna trust God the provision for my life or I'm gonna rob God from what he has given me and say, God, I don't trust you with my life. So God says, I'm gonna test you. Every time you get paid, you get this. That's what tithing is, it's just test, it's just test. It's not a budget issue, it's not a broke issue, it's not a poverty issue, it's not I, got, I make too much money and pay too much in taxes issue. Listen to me, it's a test. That's why I give it. 10 means testing. So here, you're gonna be tested for 10 days in jail. You're gonna be tested for this. And look what he says in verse 10. But be faithful until death, which means, uh-oh, some of you are gonna die. I come to church to be encouraged, to be lifted up, and now it's like, some of you are gonna be arrested, and some of you are gonna be tested, and some of you are gonna die. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now this is so fascinating, let's go back to the context. He's speaking to the people who live in the crown of Asia, and he says, but you finish well, I will give you the wreath that they give to all the Olympians when they win the Olympics. And I will put on you the crown of life. Listen to what the half-brother of Jesus, James, said. Look what he said, James 1.12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, tribulations, testing. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord had promised to those who love him. Don't have time to jump into it, but the Bible talks about five crowns in the Bible. This is one of them that you will receive as a follower of Jesus if you go through the things he says, the crown of life. And then verse 11, go back to Revelation 2, 11. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's what he's saying. If you have an ear this morning, listen to what he's saying. Those who overcome will not be hurt by the second death. The first time in the Bible that word's used, that we see second death. You go all the way through scripture and all of a sudden we get to the second chapter in the book of Revelation and Jesus says the second death. You mean you die twice? What is the second death? How do I avoid it? Because it says those who overcome it will not be hurt by the second death. What is it? Well, Jesus gave them the answer. Remember, he wrote the book of Revelation and gave it to them. So when they got to the end, they're sitting there going, what's the second death? What's the second death? And what's the beast and the bark of the beast and the Antichrist and all this? Remember, they're reading through the whole book of Revelation 2,000 years ago, the one that's in your hand. And then they get all the way to Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, and it says this. Then at the end, then at the end, death and Hades, where the devil, the beast, all those who don't believe in Jesus were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And they're like, Whew, man, I'm glad I get to avoid that one. How do I avoid the lake of fire? How do I avoid it? Those who overcome will avoid it. How do I overcome? Well, listen to what Jesus says in John eleven twenty five. 25. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. 
Do you see this? Do you see this to the city of Smyrna? You thought you were dead, now alive? I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. If you believe in me, you will not face the second death, even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now watch this, the number one fear for most people is death. As a believer in Christ Jesus, watch this, you will never die. Did you see that? The moment that you breathe your last breath in your body will be the second that you take your first breath in eternity. Do you see that? You don't die. Do you see that? You see what I'm saying? As a believer in Christ Jesus, the moment this shell dies and it takes its last breath, the very next one will be in eternity. So Jesus says, do you believe? I'm the resurrection. I am the life. So how do I overcome this? John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that, that in me you may have peace. And in the world you will have peace affliction, persecution, tribulation. See this word? You will be crushed. In this world, you will be crushed. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So how do I overcome? To be an overcomer, I put my faith in the one who's overcome. And if I put my faith and trust in Jesus, I'll overcome and watch this. And I have been saved from the wrath that God will pour out in the second death. That's what you and I know as hell. And that's how you avoid it. You give your life to Jesus. And, and you're sitting here going, okay, pastor, thank you for the historical Bible lesson. That's cool, that's good. Uh, I'm really not part of a church like that yet, right? No one's really, what does it mean to me? How does this apply to me? Well, just a few things. Maybe it's not something you do, maybe it's something you know today. Here's what you need to know. He starts out every letter to every church, and here's what he says. This is not on the screen, but here's the point. I know what's going on. You see, just for some of you right now, you think God's abandoned you. You got a wayward kid that hasn't come home yet. Your marriage is hanging on by a thread. You're one paycheck away from losing everything. You're struggling about raising your teenager. Work has so much pressure and there's so much toxic stuff going on that you wanna throw the towel in. Some of you have so much emotional pressure with depression and anxiety in your life that you're even thinking about taking your life. Like life is crushing you. And all these sufferings that's going on in your life, and though it may not be the suffering where you're being persecuted for your faith or the suffering where you have to renounce Christ and say Jesus is not Lord, but Caesar is Lord, but it's suffering to you and you try to hide it, you put a face on, you don't want no one to know about it, and here, God brought you here today to let you know this, I know the tribulation, the poverty, the pressure, the persecution, the suffering that you're going through. And for some of us, just to know that Jesus knows, that he's not, in he's not abandoned me, he's not forgot about me, that he's here with me, just knowing that Jesus knows gives me hope that no matter what's going on suffering in my life right now, that he knows. And I hope that would just begin to bring you peace going, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, 
who knows all things sees you. I see you. And I hear your cries. And I know the pain and the suffering and the situations that you're going through. I see it. And maybe for you, if, you're, if the suffering remains and it doesn't go away, listen to me. Listen to me. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. And when you suffer well and you're persecuted, whatever suffering you may be going through, if you'll be faithful to the end, listen, God will reward you because he sees it. And that is one of the things that we can learn from this small persecuted, poor, little but rich church. And he sees you and he knows. So the pastor in his 20s, Polycarp, he's had the book of Revelation for 60 years, teaching that book to his people. At 86 years old, he has a vision, a dream that his pillow caught on fire. He took that as a symbol of a way that he was gonna die. So the proconsul gets together in Smyrna and they sit around going, listen, this pastor over here who's been preaching now for 60 some years is causing a ruckus. He's telling people about the end times. He's telling people about the fire. He's talking about, you know, that the love, like, you know, your marriage is one person. He's taking all this stuff. He's preaching the scripts, talking about this Jesus who says he's the, he's the first. He said that Jesus is the resurrection. He said Jesus was dead, now is alive. Hey, that's our slogan. Somebody stole our city slogan. So the proconsul says, go get him. So two guys go and he knocks on his door. Excuse me, pastor. He opens the door. He shuffles his 86-year-old self over there and said, Hello? He said, we're here to arrest you, and I hate to do this. History, you can read all this in history. History says, well, before we go, would you guys like to come in and let me make you something to eat and get you something to drink? And so the two officers come in and soldiers, and they sit down, and he feeds them food and gets something to drink. He says, before we go, do you mind if I go pray for an hour? And the soldiers looked at each other like, he ain't gonna outrun us. You know, we can catch grandpa here. Like, where's he gonna go for me? And they said, sure, go. And the soldiers go, why in the world do they want to arrest this man? He gets up from praying for an hour, and they take him out, and they say, come on. They take him down to the proconsul, and the proconsul looks at him and says, man, are we really going to do this to an 86-year-old man? And they did not want to persecute him. And so they come to him, and they say, listen, here's what you got to do. We will let you go if you'll just do this. They said, what? Just say Caesar is Lord. We'll let you go. We don't care if you want to worship Jesus. We don't want to care if you want to be, you know, polyistic and have all these different deities and gods. There's gods all over the place. But you just got to say out of your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you will do that, we'll let you go. He said, for 80 and six years, I have served Jesus and he's never done any wrong to me. Why would I renounce my King and my Savior? And the proconsul said, please, just say Caesar is Lord, man. We don't want to do this to you. And he wouldn't. So they said, okay, get the steak, get the wood, tie him to the pole. He looks at him and says, you don't have to tie me to the pole. I'm not going anywhere. And he willfully walks over to the stakes and he stands on the stake. 
unloosed, no ties, and he stood there. And the soldiers came up and they lit the stake. All because he would not say Caesar is Lord. Historians say and record like a wind blew. And the wind was blowing the flames away from him as he was standing at the stake and would not burn. And so when the soldiers grabs a spear because they thought he would be in agony, pierces through the flames, pierces his heart. And it's recorded that his blood extinguished the fire. All because he would not say, Caesar is Lord. For 60 years, he read the letter that Jesus wrote to his church. Some of you are gonna be persecuted. Some of you are gonna be put in jail. Some of you are gonna die. But you remain faithful to the end and I will give you the crown of life. And the moment Pastor Polycarp took his last breath, he took his first breath in eternity where Jesus gave him the crown. Now I know you're saying, well, that's really not me today. But listen, there are people all over our world today who will not renounce Jesus, who will receive the crown of life because they were faithful to the end. And we need to be men and women of God, watch this, who will be faithful where we are. We will be faithful in our workplaces, we'll be faithful in our schools, we'll be faithful that we won't back down from the culture. We're not gonna let the culture just shut us up. We're gonna love them, we're gonna speak truth to them, we're not gonna be mean. Nobody needs to be mean to nobody. But our culture has silenced the church. The only hope for this world is Jesus. And you have the answer. So I wanna encourage you to be men and women of God. Watch this, that we will speak Jesus. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. He has overcome this world. And watch this, that means that you can overcome anything in your life. I'm gonna ask you would to bow your heads. I do this every Sunday. I'm gonna do it every Sunday as long as I'm on this stage. I beg you today to give your life to Jesus. I beg you to give your life to Jesus. If I could save you, I would save you. I can't even save myself. Jesus saved me. And I want you to be safe from that second death that he just talked about. It's real, it is real. How do I do that? How do I give my life to Jesus? Well, let's go back to what Paul said. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, do you see that? When you read through the book of Romans, I, next time you read that, I want you to read, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That was a death sentence to the Christians in Rome. There's only one Lord and it's Caesar. That's why Polycarp was martyred. So Paul says, okay, you really wanna be saved? You really wanna be saved? Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you can do that right now. Online, any of our campuses, doesn't matter. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Believe in your heart that God resurrected him from the dead and you will be saved from that second death. Repent and believe.
And if that's you, whoever you are, please go to our next step area. We wanna help you take your next steps in following Jesus. We have resources for you. We're here to help you in any way we can for you to follow the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Watch this, the title of God himself, the first and the last. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how relevant it is to us today. Thank you, God, how it speaks into our hearts, our lives. And we pray right now for all of our brothers and sisters across the world. God, that people even today are losing their life today for the gospel's sake. And God, we pray that they will receive that kind of life. We pray that you would give them boldness and courage, but love and humility to stand for your word. And not only them, Lord, even right here in this beautiful free country that we live in right now, that we will be men and women, God, who would stand on your word we will stand for you and not bow to the culture, not bow to what the world says, but to you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we ask this. Amen.